Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit Bet Online today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years. I want to hear cannons. Simple mode, dropping the throw, Winston out again, throws to the left, it's intercepted into the 35, outside the numbers to the 40, to the 35, to the 30, to the 25, to the 20, to the 15, 10, Mike Edwards, touchdown Tampa Bay, that's the dagger my friend. This is the Big Nasty, yeah Big Nasty, Hall of Fame Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother, you ain't listening. You're missing out. Woo! And there are the cannons go. Cannons. Fire them. Keep on firing them. Keep on firing them. Hello and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me, my good buddy and co-host from BoxNation.com, Mr. Evan Wanish. Joining us this week as well, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, Sean King. Excited to dive into this one. We are on our way out of week six. Monday night football still yet to be played, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are three and three after a 20 to 18 loss to the hands of Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, and the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road last Sunday. This is an interesting spot for this Bucs team. Um, You know, we looked at the first four game stretch on the schedule and said two and two is a little realistic, but once you looked at the games beyond that, you say, all right, the Bucs are not facing what are to be considered elite teams in the NFL anymore. So they should be able to stack some wins. And we knew Pittsburgh was be a tough road game, but it's just a lot of sloppy football. I mean, we've had time to sit on it and really go back, watch the game again. And it was just a lot of bad football execution errors left and right. People want to point a lot of fingers, uh, but we're going to try and make some sense today of what really went wrong for Tampa Bay. Sean, I wanted to get into this with you. What are your thoughts on Tampa Bay following that loss and where they are at three and three right now? Well, I think the tough thing to do as a fan, as a a person that has an opinion about a particular team is always take the macro approach, not the micro. There's so much variance from week to week in that league. I mean, the Giants are five and one. I mean, I think the Jets are four and two. I mean, Green Bay was supposed to have this great defense and they're a sieve. Like, and I just do, I, I just, I'd say those examples just to put context on it. Uh, my first two years in Tampa, we were picked to win the Super Bowl both years, and we started both of those years three and four. So just always remember it's a long season. It's about, first of all, winning your division. They're tied for first with the Atlanta Falcons. And it's about playing your best football, hopefully the last quarter of the season as you go into the playoffs. Having said that, uh, they do, in my opinion, have a fundamental flaw. They don't have a lot of explosive playmakers on offense. They have a lot of skill, a lot of talent, 
but not explosiveness. Um, long play yesterday, 28 yards. So what that tells me is now you have to put eight to 10 play drives together a whole bunch of times to score points. And when you have a game where you're not efficient in the red zone, where you're inside a 10 offense, isn't quite clicking as it should, you ultimately settle for a lot of field goals and you find yourself losing a game where really your defense, outside of the one glaring uh, substitution error on third down, when they gave up that big play, for the most part, I mean, they played, you know, you know, pretty good overall. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you bring up a good point when you say about the, the eight to ten play drives. You can do that every now and then, but it's just, it's not sustainable. Like, and it's clear that like that, the Bucks offense they haven't had any drives where it's like oh four plays, five plays on oh, there in the end zone. Like it just it hasn't happened this year, like it has in the past. And I think part of that is the personnel. I think part of that is due to uh, the protection not being what it used to be. They don't have as much time to sit back there and take the deep shots. Um, I, I think it's a mixture of everything. Uh, but but I, I think you're right. They have a lot of skill. They have a lot of talent but mike evans is a a deep threat but he's not that guy who's going to be a, you know, a burner uh he's not gonna chris godwin's not that type of player they're both great players don't get me wrong but that's not their game you're starting to see that now and and the bucks just cannot you know, like you said the explosive plays are not there uh the long pittsburgh gave up a bunch of long plays the week before to buffalo uh, a bunch and the longest play like you said that the bucks had was 28 yards so it just it, it wasn't good enough on Sunday, and I mean the entire offense is. I don't really think you can point at one player and say, "Oh, that that guy played well," because I think the entire offense against a really bad and really banged up Pittsburgh defense, they just they didn't come to play yesterday. And that explosiveness that can be applied to more than just one position group on the offense, especially because you felt it everywhere. I mean. It's funny enough, context is always important, but coming into this game, this Buccaneers offensive line was ranked as one of the better offensive lines in the NFL as far as, you know, sack percentage coming into this. Even after the loss in Pittsburgh, they are still second in the league in sack percentage, which on paper is a good stat, you would think. But a couple of things are going to help with that. Tom Brady's quick release obviously being one of them. And people had said that Tom was throwing a lot of balls into the dirt last Sunday. He was, you know, throwing his guys out, wasn't making throws. But the fact of the matter is he just didn't have time. Like that quick release is going to cover up a bad offensive line. And Luke Gedeke in particular at that left guard position, he was getting beat like a drum by any and all members of that Steelers defensive line. Todd Bowles had addressed it today in regards to maybe looking to make a position change. Uh, He said, quote, they've got their guys and they are happy rolling with them going forward. So it seems like the Bucs are going to ride this out. And in Kedeke's defense, he's a rookie. You look at who he's been playing. But the fact of the matter is, you know, this offensive line has got to be better, period. When you lose Ryan Jensen, when you lose Ali Marpet, Alex Kappa and Shaq Mason are kind of interchangeable at this point. But the explosiveness is not there. We've also spoken a few points uh, up until now in the season where, you know, the Bucs need a third and one. They need a fourth and one. They need to get that push on the offensive line you know, to really win the battle there in the trenches and, and make the play happen. And they haven't been able to do that well, because that push is just not there. That explosiveness of a Ryan Jensen and an Ali Marpet is not going to be replicated with Hainsey and Luke Gedeke struggling the way that he has. Well, the biggest thing you can point at with the, the lack of push is that quarterback sneak. I mean, Brady didn't gain anything 
Like, because there was no push by the offensive line. The, the Pittsburgh defense just completely collapsed the Bucks' offensive line, and Brady had nowhere to go. A quarterback sneak is all about just your offensive lineman getting that push. And that's why, yeah, that they can't. It was second and goal from the one or two-yard line. Let Leonard Fournette loses three yards. Because they, they are, they're terrible in short-yarded situations because they don't have the guys on the interior right now. And I think the most frustrating thing about the offense and the offensive philosophy, you know, Byron Leftwich has been under fire a lot over the past 24 hours. Um, and I, I think the one thing that he deserves the most, you know, like fire for is uh, why do you keep running to Luke Gedeke's side when he's struggling so bad? On the other side, you have Shaq Mason, who's an excellent run blocker, and Tristan Wirfs, who's one of the best right tackles in the NFL. So why do you continue to run to that side when it's not working? They, they were just, they run to the left side too much. They're not playing to the strengths of their offense. So it, it seems like they're, they're almost, they're hurting themselves more than anything. So a lot of times when you're designing a run game, um, you, you base it on numbers and angles. Mm-hmm. So some of those runs may be check with me runs where they're trying to run to a specific technique or away from an overload or away from a down safety. So sometimes that's just within the scheme of it. Like, it's unfair. We talked about Luke Gedeke a little bit. You know, doesn't really get to be a rookie, but he was a second-round pick. Mm-hmm. You know, to whom much is given, much is required. So, I mean, it's tough. You know, he's in Central Michigan, I think, is where he played at. Yeah. So it's not like he's coming from one of these huge programs where, you know, he's going against these caliber of athletes week in and week out. So keep in mind, it is a huge adjustment for him you know, in, in every way, shape, form, and fashion. And I'm sure uh, as they self-scout, you know, one of the things that you try and do is, you know, how do we get the ball run behind Tristan more and Shaq more? And, uh, you know, I'm sure you'll try and see some uh, adjustments moving forward. I thought Leonard Fournette was one of the bright spots. I thought when he ran the ball with real physicality, you know, especially the second half of that game, where I don't think you always get that from him. So I'm excited when I see it. Um, it seemed as though Godwin and Brady just were off a little bit. What is it, 12 targets, I think, only six catches. Yeah. And Mike Evans wasn't probably involved enough. Four targets, four catches. And I think majority of those came in the first half off the mm-hmm. top of my head. So uh, there's some things that they can do, I think, to help them be better. But uh, I wouldn't panic. Uh, this was a desperation game for Pittsburgh. I know you look at it and you look at what's happened, but Tomlin's never had a losing record. So they probably didn't even go home last week. Like, they're looking at, like, you know, because what are they, two and four now, if two I'm not mistaken? Yep, yep. Right. So they were looking at dropping to one and five. So it was a desperate spot. I think what you see when you look across this league, and it's what makes it so great, is parity. If you don't show up with your A game, you can get your butt kicked every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that's got to be the message that Bowles is telling his guys because there are, there are no easy weeks. In football now, everybody's in a dogfight. Green Bay lost at home. Uh, or some of the other – Baltimore was up 2010 with the ball yeah. in the fourth quarter and lost outright in regulation. Hey, well, Falcons, I mean, to give credit to Molly Baltimore, Wap, the Niners. Baltimore has been good at uh, good at dropping games late this year. It seems like it's a pattern Shoot. that's really developed for them. I mean, just letting you know, letting teams really get back into things in the second half seems to be one of the one of the mainstays of their games so far this season. So yeah, it was certainly upset week around the NFL, and and honestly, you know, I don't think people take in the human factor of the game a lot either. 
you know, people look at stats and a box score. They look at guys on TV who may or may not be invincible and they say, oh, these guys are just players. They're going to get it done. It should have been done this way. It should have been done that way. But I mean, pride most certainly plays a factor. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers lost 38 to three last week to the Bills. And, and I mean, like you said, this is a team on the cusp of going one in five in front of their home fans. They just they weren't going to go out like that. And that doesn't mean that the Bucks couldn't have been better because obviously they should have won this game. But you got to give Pittsburgh credit where it's due. Like they were playing their asses off. Yeah. Yeah. But but I mean, also, you know, it's still like. It, it can't be like forgotten that it's still an inexcusable performance. I know you mentioned that and everything, but um, you, you know, this Pittsburgh defense was bad and they were like, like just like Sean said, their longest play was 28 yards. Pittsburgh didn't have any starting corners and probably their best player. Their two best players on defense, TJ Watt and Mika Fitzpatrick out of this game. And the <laughs> longest play, the longest time that you tried to test them was 28 yards. And it was over the middle of the field. Like it doesn't, if you see Brady's passing chart, like there's no vertical shots at all. And like I said, Part of that is the timing, that the lack of time that he had because Luke Gedeke was being beat by Cameron Hayward all day. Um, and then also the lack of explosiveness. But take a shot. You know, it's time to stretch out the defense when they're just able to peel back and know exactly what you're doing because they know you're not going to throw the ball downfield. It, one, it doesn't help your run game because all those linebackers are going to be keying in on that. And then two, it doesn't help the, the corners. All they need to do is just press them and the Bucks won't be able to find a guy. And they know that if Cameron Hayward can beat Luke Gedeke, then Brady's in trouble. So it, it was just, it was a, terrible offensive game plan. And I, I just, I, I don't know why, why things went the way they did. You, you know, uh, something that I was thinking about, I don't really know if I have an answer. I'd like to get you guys' opinion on it. This offense doesn't resemble the one we saw Brady's first two years in oh, Tampa. No, not even close. No way. How, <laughs> how much of Bruce Arians and his aggressive, we're going to attack vertically mentality, not being there, you see more of what Brady traditionally was in New England, which is more ball control, deacon dunk, you know, type of throws. Maybe it, that's what's missing is Bruce, you know, saying, no, we're going to throw the ball deep. We're going to take shots. Yeah, I, I, I think it's valid because I, I think it's valid because you're seeing the evidence right here. You know, the, through the first six games without Bruce Arians, it is a different philosophy on offense, I think. And that doesn't mean the offensive scheme has completely changed. It obviously it, it hasn't, but there's still there is differences here. And I do think that the lack of aggressiveness is partly in due to Bruce Arians not being there saying to Byron, hey, we're running this. And like I'm the head coach. So like you're not going to say no to me, you know, like I, I'm your boss, essentially. Like we they talk about the red marker, right? Darian Arians went in and and did like the, the, the stuff with the red marker and it crossed out the plays he didn't like like i think that matters and like i do think that byron leftwich was running the show for the offense the last two years but i think you're seeing the evidence now that bruce arians definitely played more of a hand than i think arians even wanted to admit you want to talk a little more about statistical differences in this buccaneers offense over the last two seasons well actually okay so where they are right now following week 6 still have the Monday night game left to be played but this Bucks offense in the NFL is ranked 20th in scoring 22nd in total offense just last year this time last year they were ranked 2nd in both of those categories they are 6th in passing 32nd in rushing so we talk about the new philosophy that shows up on the offensive side of the ball 
and we've talked a lot up until this point this season as well. It's clear the Bucks want to try and run the ball a little bit more. Uh, well, unfortunately, six weeks into the season, they suck. They are bad at it. They are averaging about 3.07 yards per carry. And I think the next best team is averaging like 3.6, 3.7 yards per carry. So regardless of Leonard Fournette getting paid, and I know he's played more of a factor in the passing game, which has been awesome. And I truly appreciate it because yeah, he does but, run yeah, well. But- Real quick, though, also, one quick note on that. Him playing such a factor in the passing game isn't a great sign because that means that, like, he's the leading he's the leading receiver right now. Like, that means that you're taking a ton of checkdowns and you're not playing aggressive. And when you've got guys like Mike Evans, Chris exactly. Godwin, I know Russell Gage hasn't been 100%, but the Bucks are still paying him. Julio Jones, who has not been healthy. I mean, all of this talent still on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, the Bucks also ranked 22nd in the league on third down, tied for 21st in the red zone. I don't know how that's not lower. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just not great. I mean, you talk about a change in philosophy, but we are seeing it in action right here. So in the long run, I still have hope that this offense is going to figure it out and get to a point in the season where they find a rhythm and they can make things happen. Very winnable games down the stretch here, but it's it's not going to it's not going to get to the point it was last year i don't think even though you've got the talent unless there are some drastic changes made as far as you know play calling and even just play design goes the explosiveness of the position groups let's talk about the wide receiver room for a minute mike evans and chris godwin are explosive players but they're not going to get open 9 times out of 10 like this uh you know these these play calls kind of need them to it's almost like you have to you have to scheme them open, and the Bucks have not done a great job of doing that at all this year. No, and they, they you know have. I think in the red in the red zone you miss Gronkowski. Oh, big! I thing. mean that was yeah. Brady's guy, and I thought Julio was going to fill that role, but he hadn't been available. Like I thought that was going to be his like niche is big target red zone. You know, the route trees a little more limited, and it just hasn't panned out like that. And then one of the things that I think. And Byron's a really smart guy. Brady's a really smart quarterback. I think when the teams are really successful in the red zone, when you look around the league, have a great screen package. You know, the interior screens of the tight ends, you know, the different, you know, running back screens, the inside slot stuff. Like, so I think they got to develop that package a little more in in the red zone just to, to, to try and get some, some more looks for the defense. Yeah, I mean, we talk about the red zone, and you mentioned Julio Jones and how he could be a big body. Look, they got six five Mike Evans there. Like, they haven't really thrown him in. Like Dallas week one, they threw him a little bit. Kansas City week four, that's it. Like, like, like that. That is it. They have ignored him in the red zone. Like, and I don't understand why. Like, they ignored him flat out yesterday, anyway. But like in the red zone, that's where you got to use that type of guy. Like, that's what he's gonna be able to win a lot of those 50-50 balls because of his size. Throw it up and, and let let him get a chance to do it. You know, you're paying him to do that. So I just I think that they're trying to be a little too cute in the red zone. I think, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the pre-snap penalties in the red zone, the illegal man downfield in the red zone, all these penalties that are pushing them back. It seems like they just, they need to simplify it. And and I think they're just, they're trying to overcomplicate things. And again, they're doing it to themselves. I think that's the most frustrating thing. You know, the, the offense really isn't moving the ball awful. 
Like they're not they're not moving the ball awful. They went down in the red zone a couple times versus Dallas and had to kick field goals. They went down in the red zone versus New Orleans, failed on fourth and one, and then had to kick the field goal on the other one. Um, and then they obviously had the red zone here where they were zero for three, I believe, in the or one for four, I guess, in the red zone. So the offense, I mean, that's four red zone trips. Like the offense hasn't moved the ball bad. It's just once it gets inside the 20 and the things get, like you said, the limited route tree and everything gets condensed, right? It's tougher to score, but I just think they're making it too complicated. They need to get almost back to the basics of what this offense used to be. And I think then it'll just naturally be better. Like they have the talent, like the talent's there. Like we talked about, the skill is there. It's just right now they're making it too hard on themselves because I just think they're they're trying to do things that are just too complicated. And and when you're struggling, you need to sometimes just simplify it. We would be remiss if uh, we didn't mention the quarterback who has been under some fire this week as well. Tom Brady missed some, uh, I mean, missed a walkthrough on Saturday, didn't travel with the team on Friday because he went to Robert Kraft's wedding in New York City. It's one of those things that, I mean, obviously people are going to overthink something like this, especially when you go out and you lose. Like when you lose, people are going to have that much more reason to say, oh, hey, this is definitely why the Bucks lost to Pittsburgh on Sunday. But alongside people overthinking it, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like Bruce Arians, you know, if he was the head coach, he would have no problem with Brady going to stuff like that because he had been vocal about it before saying, listen, if you've got a recital, if your kids got something you got to go to, if there's a wedding you got to go to, whatever. Like, just go like I'd rather you go and not be here at the facility missing time away from your family. So I know Robert Kraft is an immediate family or anything like that, but it isn't out of the question or the realm of possibility that he would go do something like that. It is a little weird that Robert Kraft, of all people, would have a wedding on Friday night in the middle of football season. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Happy for him and his wife. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So. With that being said, uh, Sean, can you kind of agree with me here and and say that people are overreacting to Brady or do you think this is valid? Because some people also say that, you know, he has looked off this year and it does seem like there's more distractions away from the team, which hasn't been a problem for Tom Brady in the past. I think they're watching the right movie. They're just focused on the wrong part. Like what a party file by Robert Kraft. Like why on God's green (laughs) earth? (laughs) You know, would you get married? Like, it's smack dab in the middle of football season. I mean, he's 81, right? She's 47. Yeah. Maybe he don't have yeah. – maybe he doesn't have another six months. I, oh. Time is valuable when you get 81. I'm a good God. But, <laughs> like, in the NFL, when you travel on a away game, as long as he doesn't miss the practice here in Tampa. Yeah, which, I mean, which, which Tabo said he did not. He practiced yeah, all week. I'm, I mean, the way we travel is, I mean, we get there and everybody go their separate ways anyway. So it's not like college where you got a whole gang of meetings and walkthroughs and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty laid back. You may have like one team meeting Saturday night and and that's about it. So everybody else was in the mean streets of Pittsburgh trying to find somewhere good to eat. I, I believe uh, Rick Stroud, I'm going to pull up the tweet here, but I do believe Rick Stroud had said that Brady did uh, did attend the, a, a meeting on Saturday night. He just wasn't at the walkthrough during the day on Saturday. So, yeah, Rick Stroud said he practiced all three days. He missed a Saturday walkthrough in meetings and meetings. He joined the team for a meeting Saturday night in Pittsburgh. 
So yeah. it's not like he just, you know, I, I saw some people say, oh, he flew in on Sunday morning. No, he didn't. Like, like stop. He, he did not. Um, it, it, are the optics of it great? No, it, it's not. Because whenever you have a high-profile guy like Brady, who's already been in the news for non-football things, um, the, this but thing. the foul is on crap. <laughs> I, I get you. I get I mean, think about how much <laughs> think about how much money Robert Kraft has put into Brady's bank account. You owe it to the man to go to his <laughs> funeral. It's Kraft's fault for having a funeral in the middle of football season. I mean, he could have had this funeral in July. He could have waited to February. Wedding. Wedding. Like, wedding. <laughs> I mean, wedding. <laughs> wedding. My bad. My bad. <laughs> Cause I guess you don't get to pick the funeral part. Like, no, right, the wedding. Right. He could have had. He could have had this wedding in July, June. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah, I, I know. I know. Um, and I, I think people are just are just looking for for stuff here. Like Tom Brady missing the the Saturday meeting is not the reason that Luke Gedicki couldn't protect or the entire offensive line couldn't protect. It's not the reason why. You know, the, the defense gave up a few third and longs. It's not the reason why the, the receivers couldn't get open. Like, it's not that. Like, so to me, it's just – it's another thing that people just want to talk about. How did the public find out? Is is the media at that walkthrough? I like, that would be that would be the so. bigger concern to me if I was Coach Bowles is, you know, how did this information get out? Did somebody spot him at the wedding? Uh, he, was, I, I, he, was seen, he was seen at the wedding on Friday night. Yeah, there were pictures released from the wedding. As far as the walkthrough on Saturday morning, I'm not too sure. Maybe a beat reporter had had let that slip. They knew that was going to be happening, and he'd come in a little bit later. But I don't know. It is an interesting question. But I do want to ask the question about the other side of the football. We've talked a ton about Tom Brady and the offense up until this point. Let's wrap things up on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not as upset with this defense as a lot of people are, but – when you give up seven third and longs the way that they did, it's hard not to be upset. Like it's one of those things where Evan, you put it perfectly Sunday after the game, you know, up until that final offensive possession for Pittsburgh, I really wasn't mad at the defense. Yeah. A lot of people looked at it and said, look, it was an underwhelming offense that couldn't score in the red zone. They were moving the ball, but you know, the defense needed some help and they did not get it. But listen, when you've got an opportunity at a third and 16, a third and 11, multiple third and longs to get off of the field and you just cannot do it. I mean, that's been one of the biggest weak spots for this Bucks team since the start of the season. And it like, it kind of started as a joke. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, third and 17, let's go ahead and spot them a first down here. And now it is a, a legitimate problem. Well, and, and you know, and the, the toughest thing for me is they weren't playing the Kansas city chiefs. They're not playing the Buffalo bills. You know, they're not playing the, the Philadelphia Eagles or whoever you want to say. They're not playing a high-powered offense. They're playing one of the worst offenses in the NFL with, with Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett as, as the quarterbacks, who especially Mitch Trubisky just got benched. He was struggling so bad. So, like, to give that up to the Pittsburgh Steelers, of all people, that's that's what makes it 10 times worse for me, and especially the situation. Third and 16, I think there was, like, three minutes left in the game. Like a third and 16, you get off the field there. All you need is a field goal to take the lead. Like that, that that's all you need is a field goal to take the 21 to 20 lead. Um, and then, you know, you don't play great, but you escape with a W and you just, you can't get off the field. Then a, few, a minute or so goes by and you're presented with another opportunity to get off the field on third, third and 11, another third and long, and you can't get off the field. Now it was a great play by Chase, 
Claypool. Um, he had a great game. However, there's still no excuse for it. It was it was just this Pittsburgh offense has shown no life all year. And like if that final drive, you know, you you agreed with me, and I'm going to reiterate it. The final drive never happened. The entire outlook on the defense, I think, is way different because Pittsburgh's offense didn't really look at different than it did the entire season. Like it didn't really look like explosive or anything like that. Just, they were just shredding Tampa. Like besides that first, that first drive for Pittsburgh's offense, they really didn't look that great. Like they had an 89 yard kickoff return almost for a touchdown, but they had to settle for three points. So like, like they didn't really look that great. And it's just until the end there when the defense needed to come up with a stop, they couldn't do it to a terrible offense. And the, the offense that had just scored points, obviously it didn't get the two point conversion, but the offense that just scored points couldn't get another chance to, to try and try and finish out the game. You know, uh, again, I'm just going to take a macro point uh, approach to this frustrating Um some of it I thought was fluke. There were a couple of catches there that kind of yeah, like I think Claypool made one. I think Deontay made one where you're just like, let me tip your hat to the guy that made a great play. I still think their bigger issue is they're not getting consistent pass rush from their front four. On that on that third and sixteen, Trubisky had all day to throw. There was not yeah. a, a a man in sight there. Yeah. Through six games when uh, your linebacker and your safety, you know, lead the team in sacks. You know, you got to get more from Carl Nassib, Shaq Barrett, you know, Vita Vea. They, they've got to work better together and create more pressure so that you can maintain the integrity of your pass defense behind it. You know, because generally for them to get pressure right now, they're having to, to bring some kind of blitz. And as you get against better quarterbacks, that's extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think if, you know, the, the, the trade, it's coming up and it's going to be a discussion. If you're looking for anything, maybe you look for some pass rush help because right now I, I think that their pass rush with four just isn't good enough. And like you said, they can get home if they blitz. Like if they blitz, they can get home, but that's not going to work. I mean, you're playing against Lamar Jackson coming up. Uh, you, you still have Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow. Like you still have some high profile quarterbacks coming up and blitzing those guys every single time is not going to work. So um, like I said, on that third and 16, Drew Bisky had all day to throw. And just the Bucks sent four, and they couldn't get home with. I mean, even pressure to affect the throw. So I, I think that the pass rush, especially in those final moments of the game yesterday, really, really hurt them. And it's a guy. I'm looking at a guy like Shaq Barrett because he's making the most money on the defensive line, and right now he's just not having the impact that he needs to have. I know you had mentioned Shaq Barrett, and we talk about getting pressure with your front four. I think Vita Vey is a big part of that. We had mentioned him a couple weeks ago here on the pod too, but. Still just a flat feeling. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know that we have had the conversation before that Vita Vea is never going to be a guy that jumps out to you on the stat sheet, but his presence is certainly felt through the production of the other guys on that defensive line as well. When guys like Shaq Barrett are having an on day or even Joe Tryon Shoyinka is able to make a big play, we look at what happened in the middle of that defensive line, whether it's uh, Deidre and Sanat, who has showed up a little bit these past few weeks, got to kind of extend a tip of the cap to him. Vita Vea, obviously always a big part of that, but looking at the snap count for the defense from last Sunday, Logan Hall, the rookie, only 19 snaps for him. And then of course, Vita Vea, 41 snaps. So I'm not saying we should have seen Logan Hall a little bit more. That's not at all what I'm trying I, to say I, here. I think you should have, but I mean, maybe that is what I'm trying to say right here. <laughs> you know, when you give 41 snaps to Vita Vea and uh, the pass rush just is not there, you know, 
I'm okay with giving him a break every now and again if he is just not producing. But I had liked what we had seen from Logan Hall so far this season. And I think, you know, the more you can work him into that rotation, the more it may keep things fresh for that front four, especially if they're just getting worked and nothing's getting home. You know what I mean? We saw Carl Nassib come in, make back-to-back big plays on the same drive. He's rotational talent. And uh, his snaps, he had even less than Logan Hall with 13 snaps. So he was certainly making the most of what he had in that small sample size. Where's Anthony Nelson been? Uh, I mean, it's 17 snaps for Nelson on Sunday. Yeah, like it just, you know, and he hasn't really made an impact since the Dallas game. This pass rush needs to be better. It it needs to be better. And you should be trying different things. You should be playing Anthony Nelson more. You should be playing Logan Hall more. Because it's not working right now. So you try something different. Like, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So if you keep rushing four with the same exact guys and you're expecting a different result, it, it's to me, it's just, it, it's crazy. You, you need to start getting a little bit more experimental here. Akeem Hicks, he might be close to returning. That should help if he's 100% healthy when he comes back. But for now, like, I'm not expecting him to play this week. So, like, for this upcoming game, like, no, they get, you need to get more creative and not just blitzing because that hurts your defense. Like in blitz, I know Todd Bowles isn't going to change. You know, it's blitz heavy. I get that. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the aggressiveness. But to me, you can only blitz so much in today's NFL and leave your corners on an island, especially when the Bucks even came up with a little bit of a banged in second, banged up secondary. Um, Logan Ryan missed the game. Mike Edwards missed the game. Sean Murphy Bunting missed the game. So they weren't 100% healthy in the secondary either. And I just think you're hurting your defense with only being able to get sacks when you blitz. Like their need, you need to find a way. And this Steelers offensive line is bad. And the Panthers' offensive line is not great either. So here's another opportunity this week to get some pressure with four guys, not five, not six, four, so you can play coverage and really make it harder on the offenses. Looking ahead to this week's division matchup with the Carolina Panthers, Sean, I wanted to toss this question over to you first. What do you think the biggest area of focus should be for this Bucks team this week? You know, Todd Bowles may be spending a little bit more time with the offense to fine-tune some things over there. Uh, just cleaning up the execution errors on the defensive side of the ball, a couple of things. Like, what do you see is the biggest area of need for this Bucks team right now? I just think focus. Uh, from Todd, you know, uh, we want to watch this Pittsburgh uh, contest to see that we compete at a level that meets our standard from an assignment standpoint where, where we at a championship level. And let's make the adjustments in those two areas where we where we were. Uh, offensively, I got to have a conversation with Byron just about uh, how can we be a little more explosive. Um, what do you think our red zone issues are? It's not something that just popped up against Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I think we've settled for way too many field goals this season. You know, what are we not doing? What do we need to, you know, put more of an emphasis on? And on defense, it, it, it's sacks and turnovers. You know, I, I got to start preaching it. You know, if I'm Coach Bowles, I put it on myself. Maybe I'm not talking about it enough. But when you watch the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night, they're getting after you up front. Like, when you watch the Eagles, like that secondary, they're attacking every ball in the air. And, like, I don't know that I always see that, you know, from this version of the Bucks defense. You know, I know the names look familiar. The talent is recognizable. But I don't feel like they play at a crazy pitch down in and down out every week. So, you know, those would be my two focuses uh, if I was Coach Bowles. 
And, and you know, you have another struggling opponent in here. You know, it's, it's a road game again, but it's a, an opponent you need to beat. And it's even more magnified now because it's a division. <clears throat> you have a chance to go 3-0 and in this division now. You're tied for first, but you are in first place due to the tiebreaker because you beat the Falcons and your division record is 2-0. and You have a big opportunity here to go to 3-0, and and it's a game, again, you should win. Like, like you should absolutely win. Um, P.J. Walker last week struggled against the Rams. It, it is a game that you should absolutely win. The Panthers have already started selling off pizzas. They just traded Robbie Anderson to the Cardinals. So that's one less receiver you have to worry about. Christian McCaffrey's there. You're going to have to look at him. But this is a, a game where, to me, and I'm not even looking for it to be a blowout. I don't need it to be pretty. I need it to be a win. You know, that, 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 that's, what, that's what they need right now. It's just like the Atlanta game. You know, they were coming off two straight losses. They, they needed a win to me there. They got it. Now you're coming off a loss where this could be a loss where you look at it and it could, like, derail the entire season or it could pick you back up. You know, it could sort of open your eyes. We talked about it on the postgame show yesterday. Like, each year with Brady, have always had that loss. 2020, it was versus Chicago on Thursday night. Uh 2021, it was versus Washington week 10. Uh, they've always had a loss where they've lost to an inferior opponent most of the time on the road, but they've always been able to take care of inferior opponents in their division, mostly the Atlanta Falcons, the Carolina Panthers. And I think it's got to start this week. And you just, you got to find a way to win this football game. Because if you don't and you go to three and four, be under 500 for the first time since week one of 2020 with Tom Brady as your quarterback. And I think you're in real trouble if you go to three and four. Yep, three and three actually tied for the worst start in Tom Brady's career. Uh, believe it or not, there is a scenario where he led a three and three team to a Super Bowl because, of course, there is one of those scenarios, right? So, for a lot of the people holding out for that obscure Tom Brady stat that says everything's going to be okay, there is one for this case. But uh, Bucks just got to handle business. You know, you you got a tough. I hate to say tough division opponent, but it's probably going to be a tough game. Um, you've, you've got a division opponent on the road next week that you got to go out there and handle. Then you got a short week after that playing one of the better quarterbacks in the entire league. So, uh, and one of the most unique quarterbacks in the entire yeah. league. So. Yeah. It's going to be a test for sure. The Bucks got to start to put some things together and it'll be interesting to see how things roll out, uh, from this point forward. One more stat to wrap things up here. So we talked about the state of the NFC, you know, the state of the NFL, Everything's in shambles right now. Like the, the NFC is not great. We had just talked about it. The Giants are five and one. The Eagles are a perfect six and oh. The um the Cowboys are five and one after losing on Sunday night well, football. Four, four four and two now. Four and two. My bad. My bad. Yeah, because the other one lost to Tampa Bay in week one. But in the NFL right now, only ten out of thirty-two teams are above five hundred, and the schedule works out where the Bucks <laughs> don't have to play any of them for the rest of the year. There are 11 games left. Six of those are taking on three and three teams. Three of them are two and four teams. And then two games versus a one and five Carolina, including this Sunday at Charlotte. The three and three Bucks have a chance to show that they are better than their record at this point in the season. And I think even looking back at the Super Bowl campaign in 2020, nobody was picking the Bucks to win at seven and five to turn around and win eight in a row. No, but they look they look better in 2020 than they do now. That is true. The offense was obviously still productive. It was still better, and they were in a figuring out period. But, I, I mean, we are uh, – I think the message I want to get across on today's show, most importantly, is that we over here at the Canfire Podcast, we are not waving the white flag. Nobody's saying that Todd Bowles or Byron Leftwich needs to be fired. 
I, I think people like to get a little over dramatic. And, and Evan, you've said it before. You get a little too high on the wins and way too low on the losses. And uh, this is just, you know, this is that part of the season where the Bucks are going to have to put up or shut up. It came a little sooner than we wanted it to. But I, I feel like you'd almost rather want to tackle something like this earlier in the season than, you know, lose yeah. lose three out of your last four mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Yeah, you, you're you're hoping to correct it now. You know, yeah, you're, you're hoping to, to correct it now rather than you know week fifteen or whatever. But uh, yeah, you gotta treat this week as as just a, a must win because it absolutely is. To me, your season is almost on the line this week. Like the fate of your season is on the line this week because you just you can't go out and you can't lose this football game. They're, they're, if the playoffs started right now, they're in the playoffs. Yeah. So ultimately. Yeah. Like your two main goals in the regular season, win your division, they're in first, make the playoffs. So those two things, they're still in line for. I get it. It's frustrating, you know, especially because the perception of Pittsburgh and the perception of the Panthers coming in. But I think the messaging is there are no easy wins in 2022 in the National Football League. Mm -hmm. The uh, Panthers in full – turmoil disarray were up 10-7 at the half versus the Rams. So if they could have got anything going on offense, and I know it's hard to do that when you know a guy you're paying twenty million dollars a year just you know goes ballistic on the sidelines. And by the way, Robbie Anderson, you're so concerned with losing, you guys were up when you went on your little tirade. So I'm calling BS on that. Um so I, I just – they got to bring it. Like, you got to come in. And this is – I think I said it on the last show. They got to stop competing to the competition and start competing yeah. within. Mm-hmm. Right? They got to make a decision in the locker room that, hey, man, we got a certain standard that we're not playing to. And we got to play to that standard. I don't care if we're playing the Texans or if we're playing the Bills. Like, that's what I feel like is missing so far this year is that self-motivated – championship mindset that I felt like I saw two years ago and for the majority of last year. Sean, let me ask you this to wrap things up. By no means do you have to answer, but did you guys ever deal? You know, I, a lot of people are going to say Keyshawn's easy answer here, but did you guys ever deal with a, a guy in the locker room who was just a little too big for his britches? Maybe he had to get checked every now and again. And, and you saw it happen in real time like that. Well, no, because all of our guys produced on the grass. Hmm. Like, you can say what you want about, you know, Keyshawn, when it was game, when the whistle blew, I mean, he was accounted for. You know, all of our guys, we didn't always get along, but, I mean, the production was there. So you dealt with some of the idiosyncrasies. My issue with Robbie Anderson would be through five games, you got 13 catches. You know, you you skip all of the offseason parts of – from a preparation standpoint, because you say you're working out on your own. Like, he's not producing. Like, that's he didn't produce last year. You know, so that would be the issue I had with him. Yeah, like, you could deal with you could deal with inflated egos and overconfidence. Like, man, that's a violent physical game. You, you damn near got to trick yourself sometimes to go out there. But you got to back the, the moodiness right. and the attitude up with performance. I'm telling you this year – is going to impact and affect Aaron Rodgers' legacy more than any year he's ever had in his career. His body language is terrible. Yeah, he's. We want to talk. Everybody wants to talk about Brady, but nobody's talking about Rodgers. And Rodgers has been worse this year. Yeah, I mean, Green Green Bay is in trouble. 
Green Green Bay's not even leading their division right now. Minnesota's up in their division. Yeah, like, I don't, it, Minnesota. I think Minnesota's five and one. You know, I said this uh, in the offseason on on, um, on prime time. It's hard for a zebra to change their stripes. Green Bay has always won because their alloc- their money has been allocated on the offensive side of the ball. They've always had elite talent, and they made like this mid like sh- this seismic shift that we're gonna go spend money on defense. We're gonna go draft all these. You know, defensive guys, and they stink on defense. Now, that would, as a fan, would make you upset. Like they're not very good. Oh, but defense. not the, not the, not the trading up to draft Jordan Love in the first round part. That wouldn't, that wouldn't get you. Oh yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that was a mis- that was a mistake of all mistakes. <laughs> I, but, I feel like that was. I mean, that was. <clears throat> it's been a slow burn, and this isn't a Packers podcast. We'll wrap up after this, but I mean, that was the beginning of the end for. You know, the Aaron Rodgers deal in Green Bay, it seems like. I know he's played it out, back-to-back MVPs. They can wave that all you want, but he certainly wasn't the happiest he has been with the Packers when he went out there and won those back-to-back MVPs. It's like he won them out of spite. Last thing I got for uh, for you guys, and it's, it's uh, concerning the Bucks. We play Carolina. Uh, they're alleged to be getting ready to fire sale. Uh, trade deadline's coming. Is there anyone that you think – the Bucks should be targeting uh, from from the Panthers or just in general. In general, yeah, that could I know, potentially I really, be available. Yeah, I don't really have any specific names, but like everybody's looking for O line depth. But if you can find some, you know, maybe one team out there has a little bit too much, and that you can maybe get a guard or something to compete. Um, and then another one, I would be looking at edge rusher. I mean, I know a, a name that's out there probably might be too expensive money-wise for them, but uh, a guy like Robert Quinn is out there, uh, probably going to be available from the Bears. Um, a- another guy which I-, I found interesting, a name that that's popped up a little bit, and it's because he's probably a rental. Uh, he'd be expensive, a little on the more expensive side, but a guy like Bradley Chubb uh, from Denver, if Denver continues to lose, would they look to maybe offload him if you offered them a second-round pick? You know, because to me, if I'm the Bucks here, I'm looking at this as, yeah, like you got to do something at the deadline because you need some help. So um, I don't know about any specific names, but like a guard or a pass rusher is something that, that I would be looking at. I do think the Bucks are going to have to take a serious look at the picks that they have and be like, all right, what can we go without for right now? You know, a lot of people in the organization seem to know that like, hey, this may be the last window that we're really competing for a Super Bowl here because with the absence of Tom Brady potentially going back into retirement, you know, there's going to be a lot of question marks on both sides of the ball. But, you know, I, I think they do need to allocate some resources. I don't know if they need to make a big trade for somebody, but I It'll mean, be I, I ask the Rams if they felt like the Von Miller trade was worth it last year. Right, right. And I mean, even look at Buffalo. It's not like the Bucks are going to pay him that, but clearly Von Miller is still able to produce. I mm-hmm. I was one of the few people who uh, who laughed at Buffalo when they first signed Von Miller, and he is kicking ass this year. He's playing great. He has uh, done a lot of great things for that Buffalo defense, but it'll be interesting to see what the Buccaneers do with the deadline coming up. I mean, deadline or not, they still can be in a position to make a move on someone later on in the year, but we'll just have to see what happens. As Todd Bowles said, quote, we have our guys and we are happy with them. So we will see what happens. But ladies and gentlemen, with all of that being said, that's just about going to do it for this week's episode of the Cannon Fire podcast. Big shout out to Mr. Sean King for coming on. As always, pleasure to have you. Where can the people find you and your awesome content? 
Uh, VEASAN Prime Time, uh, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday Pacific. Uh, download the VEASAN app, V-S-I-N. Uh, you can watch the show on YouTube television. You can listen for free on the app. Uh, if I, on Twitter is at Real Sean King, and Instagram is Coach Sean King. Follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show. And, of course, Buccaneer News as it happens. Speaking of Bucs News as it happens, you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram at Bucks underscore daily, the number one Buccaneers fan page on Instagram. You can also find him on Twitter at EvanNFL. Check out his written work at BucksNation.com. What are you working on this week? So obviously I have the uh, the predictions, the staff predictions, like a review that, that hasn't come out just yet. But then also I'm introducing a new series this week. It's called uh, Stock Up, Stock Down, where I just take a look at three or four players um, on the team and just talk about are they have they been trending up or trending down. So uh, be on the lookout for that later in the week. Should be a good one. Looking forward to reading it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the show. I'm your host, Rep Matthew, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish and Sean King. We'll talk to you later on this week for the Week 7 game preview. It's wild that I'm already sitting here talking about Week 7. The Buccaneers Crazy. with another road test in the division against the Carolina Panthers should be a good one. We'll talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, thanks for watching, and go box. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.